everybody. Welcome to New Life Church. Welcome to our Carney campus here. I want to say a big hello to everybody worshiping with us at one of our other campuses right now, live with us. One church, multiple locations. Saying a big hello to North Platte right now. And uh, also a big shout out to Ogallala and everybody else that is maybe watching us at home in a hotel room or wherever you might be today. I want to say a big hello. And I just want to say this. How many of you guys at all of our campuses would just make a loud noise if you love Jesus today? Come on. Yeah. Man, isn't it a good day? Easter. Easter. You remember last year for Easter? Here's what we were all doing, right? You were kicked back. You had your pajamas on. You had your, you know, your hot cocoa or your coffee in your hand, and you were all worshiping with us online. This or that? Okay, there you go. And for those who are still online, they're like that. So there you go. And everybody... Everybody got, everybody got what they wanted. Everybody got what they wanted. That's awesome. Hey, you're here today, and we're going to kick off what we do at New Life is we teach in series. Um, and that means that we bring up a topic, and that we dig through God's Word to discover what is it that God's Word says about that topic. This series starts today, so you're here on day one. All right, you have perfect attendance for the series called Rescued. Yeah, yeah, I mean, come on, that's good, people. That's your first win of the day. Uh, then, for the rest of this month, we're going to be talking about the topic, Rescued. All right? I promise you, it's going to be life-altering. Um, it's going to be life-giving. It, it, it will, in the end, it could actually change the trajectory of your entire life. It could reprioritize how you see this world, how you see your life. It, it could change everything. It, it could affect your marriage. It could affect, um, in a healthy way, by the way, um, just want to make that clear. <laughs> um, it, it, could, it could heal relationships between you and maybe your adult children or you and your teenagers, right? It could change the way you see money. It could change the way you love. You could, you could walk into this series with addictions and walk out of this series free of addictions, right? You, you're walking into this series and maybe you feel very distant from God, but you can walk out of this series with hope, knowing that you are very close to God. You're, you're walking into this series maybe feeling like you're an enemy of God or wondering what God's opinion is of you, and you'll walk out of this series knowing that you're a friend of God, right? And it all starts today on Easter, the day that we recognize, we stop, and we celebrate the fact that if it wasn't for the, for the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that he defeated death, that there would be no reason for us to be here. And we stop today, and we celebrate the fact that Jesus defeated death Right? And when he defeated death, when he defeated death, he crushed the penalty of sin. But there is still a part that we have to play. And in any rescue, there is a part that has to be played both by the person who is being rescued and the rescuer. So what I want you to do right now is I want you to kind of humble yourself for a moment and uh, just, I want to see your hand, all right? I want to see your hands in Ogallala, North Platte, wherever, even if you're at, online. I want to see your hand if you have ever been seriously in a position of peril where you needed someone to rescue you okay let me just see your hand if you've been in a position of peril and i'm not talking spiritually i'm talking physically and you needed someone to rescue you there's hands up all over the carney campus i guarantee it's the same in other places there's so many moments in our lives where we came that close to death and if it wasn't for someone that rescued us we wouldn't be here today right a couple of years ago my wife and i we went to mexico 
um, over Thanksgiving, and we end up uh, down in a, uh, in a resort, and we're, we go out to the beach because you can hear from the room the ocean, right? But we're, a, we're the distance from, from the ocean. You can't see it because of the palm trees, right, and all the servants and people that were taking care of us. And <laughs> I was telling them all the time, get out of the way. I want to see the beach, right? Get out of the way. But they just kept, you know, what, what more do you want? And so it was tough. It was a rough life this weekend that we were there. And uh, we, heard the be- uh, we heard the ocean roaring in on the beach. And I was like, i got to get down there and see this. And I get down there, and there's a few people, and they're just kind of playing with these big waves that are crashing, right? And uh, I'm like, I said to my wife, hey, look, that looks kind of fun. Let's just let some of those waves just crash on. We're not going to go too deep, right? And so we get out there, and the waves are crashing, and they kind of move you ahead three feet, you know. And then you stumble and fall flat on your face, and you get back up. And, you, you know, we're like 50-year-olds that are, I mean, you know, something like that. We're, we're, Kim's not, all right? All right, I am. So um, and anyways, so, you know, you're just playing like a kid. And then all of a sudden, a wave too big hits you, and it pulled us out. And all of a sudden, where I was standing on firm ground, I'm no longer standing on firm ground. And I'm looking at this buoy, and I'm going, when I was on the beach, that buoy was a lot, that seemed like a long ways out there. And now that buoy is like right next to me. And I'm panicking like now, right? And I know this one thing, like, like I, I'm not dying in Mexico. <laughs> That's the first thought that goes through my mind, okay? And there's nobody else around me except for my wife. And I, and I instantly said to myself, I'm not coming home alone from Mexico, and I reached out and put a death grip on her, right? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I was just like, I felt like the bionic man. You guys, old school people, it was just like, right? And there was nothing she could do to get out of that. Like, I had her, right? And I'm saying to her, like, in between big waves crashing, I was like, kick, like, kick, swim. And in my mind, I'm going, the right thing to do is like turn sideways and go down the beach. But everything inside of me goes, kick and swim. And so we're just kicking and swimming. I mean, we're just going after it, dude. And I got her, and I'm like, <laughs> and we're kicking, and I, I mean, we're in trouble. There's no joke, okay? I mean, we're, I know we're all laughing at it now, and I'm glad that we are. Um, and we will continue to laugh at it, because we shouldn't have been there. Because after I got back on the beach, I noticed that there was a pole that had a red flag on it. That was my bad. That was my bad. Well, we got back. We got back. And um, I, I rescued my wife. And um, <laughs> basically, I'm just trying to say I'm the hero of the story. That's all I was. That's all I was. No, actually, actually, by the grace of God, we rescued each other. And um, I, I, even last year, I heard about a pastor and his wife that died in the Dominican Republic because of an undertow. And I've, I've, I know what that feels like now, right? And from, from now on, I'm looking for the red flag, people. <laughs> so picture yourself. Where, where are you going to be in peril that you need someone to rescue you? Because I really needed someone to rescue me right then. And by the grace of God, we were rescued. So where, where, I want you to picture a place that you're going to put yourself that you need to be rescued from. Is it a remote island? Is it wrecked in the ditch of a, of a, you know, on a super snowy day? Um, is it on a raft at float at sea? 
Is it lost um, in the woods or lost in the middle of a desert? Where are you going to put yourself right now? Because this is an interactive message, okay, if you haven't figured this out already. This is not a church where you just come and you endure the service, watching your clock the whole time, going, when's this thing going to get over? Because I'm hungry. All right, this is an interactive moment. It started that way with worship. It's that way with the message. And it will be that way in our worship response time at the end. It's always interactive. We always have a part to play. And today you've got a part to play. I need you to put yourself in peril. I need you to put yourself in a place that you can't get out of by yourself. I need you to imagine that with me. Okay, some of you need to close your eyes. But not too long. Okay, open them back up somewhere in the message so I know you're still with me. Right, but if you were on a remote island and a float plane flew over, that's where you're, that's where you're deserted at, on a remote island, okay, and you're there by yourself. It's not a nice place. You're there by yourself. You're fearful. You're, your lips are all cracked. You don't know where your next meal's coming from. Your clothes are all tattered, and a float plane goes flying over. Interactive, folks. What do you do? Come on. Let me see. What do you do? I have no idea what they did in Ogallala, okay? But I know this, in this auditorium, that's probably got, I don't know, I'm going to guess somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 600 people, 500 people, something like that. Only one of you got saved. <laughs> the rest of you, illustration number one, you're, de- you're gone. You didn't really want to be saved that bad, did you? Okay. I'm thinking right now, like, do I change the whole message? That's what I'm thinking right now. Let's do it again. Let's give you another chance, okay? So then the float plane lands. How many of you guys get on the float plane? Let me just see your hand. Okay, all right. All right, good, good. You're still with me. Let's try the next one. Let's see if maybe you guys can do a little better. All right, you're at drift at sea, all right? You're on a raft, and you see a ship a long ways off, all right? And you got one other person with you. The ship's a long ways off. On a little raft in a really big ocean, what do you do? Okay, all right. Now, in, again, in North Platte, you heard someone scream as if they were dying. No one's dying here. It sounded that way, but no one really died. Okay? Everyone's still alive. Okay, so more of you got rescued, although I didn't see anybody get their neighbor and lift them up higher in the air because that's a long ways away. I didn't see that. That would have been just a suggestion if you ever find yourself on a raft at sea with a ship a long ways away. Lift the other person up. All right. So if the ship came by, we would all get on the ship, right? Right. Okay. What if you are broke down on a remote mountain road and you haven't seen anybody for the whole day and you're broke down and all of a sudden you see a car coming down the road? Okay, how many of you guys jump out into the middle of the road and you go, stop, save me? I'm just sorry. I decided like after you've given you the chance on number one and the chance on number two, I was just going to help give you the answer. (laughs) You get in front, you stop, and you're like, save me. Now, if it's a, if the car pulls up and it's a nice family, right, and it doesn't look like some guy who lives out all by himself in a shed someplace that you might disappear with. Then you get in the car, and they rescue you, and they take you to the nearest town, right? That's, how, that's what we're going to do. Okay. Because that's what you do if you're in need of being rescued. In all, in all those examples, there's really these same behaviors you see happening over and over again. The first one is this. Like, if you truly, truly want to get rescued, you have to admit that you need to be rescued. 
Like, this, is where the, this is where the average person falls apart, all right? In, in life-saving efforts 101, if you can't admit that you need it, then it's, it, you're done for, right? If you're like, I can just swim harder. Like, if I just swim harder, then it's all going to be okay. But if you can't admit that you need it, then man, you're, you're never going to get saved. If you're just like, no, I'm just going to keep hiking. I'm going to track around the same thing. It feels like I'm walking in circles, but no, I'm okay, right? You got to humble yourself. You have to admit that you're done for and that you got to be open and honest and go, I need help, okay? That's the first thing. The second thing is you got to signal for the rescue. You got to do it. Like what we were talking about, right? You got to wave your hands, right? You got to get the attention. You got to yell. You got to start the fire. You got to get the stick and write help in the sand. You got to signal that, hey, I actually want to be rescued right now. Then lastly, you have to receive the rescue. You just got to receive it. You, you, you got you to gotta go, I'll get in that plane. I'll hop in that boat. You can't be like the guy whose house that was, you know, starting to flood because the river overflowed. And he climbs up on his roof to try to save his life. And he's offering these Hail Mary prayers to God. He's like, God, do a miracle. Save me. Right? Just rescue me from this situation. The guy in the canoe comes by, goes, get in. Amen. I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you. No, I'm waiting for God to do a miracle. Water rises, the guy with the airboat comes by. No, I'm waiting for God to do a miracle. I'm not going to get in. The guy with a nice boat comes by. Hey, I'm going to rescue you. The water's now up on your roof. No, I'm waiting for God to do a miracle. And the man dies in the flood, and he stands before God, and he's like, God, why didn't you rescue me? And God's like, I did. I sent you a canoe, an airboat, and a boat. You didn't get in. Like, you got to receive the rescue, And church, listen to me. This is the very same process for being rescued from our sin by the grace of God. This same process has to happen. And that's what Easter's about. The resurrection of Jesus gives us now the license to admit to God that we need to be rescued from our sin. And until you realize that you're in trouble, until you realize that, look, my sin is taking me down, My sin is going to drown me. My sin is going to leave me adrift at sea. My sin is going to cause me to walk in circles in this desert. My sin is going to lead to death, separation from God. It's what we call hell. Separation from the very power and presence of God for eternity. And a whole list of other things that describe what that is. Today, man, we are focused on relationship with God. So you got to come to the point where you can admit, I can't save myself from my own sin. I'm not good enough. There is nothing that I have done that's going to rescue me from the penalty of this sin. And guys, look, you know, this is the really, let me just tell you the truth. The truth is this, that all of us are sinners. Okay? It's not that we have sinned. It's that we are sinners in need of being rescued by God's grace. Every single one of us. And that's just where we all are. So if you're here today and you're like, I just don't know, man. Like right now I'm hearing you talk about that, but I don't know if I'm worthy to be rescued. I just want you to know that Jesus came to rescue everyone. But we have to admit that we are in a place of need to be rescued from our sin. Let me give you a picture of what what it looks like to be stranded spiritually. Ephesians chapter 2 kind of gives us a little bit of that picture. It says you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Listen Listen to the way the rest of the world has, has lived, are you know, those who are living this life of sin that need, 
you know, to admit they need to be rescued. Here's how they're doing. They're obeying the devil, the commander of the, power, of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. That's what it means, right? To like, live like the rest of the world is to live a life that refuses to obey God, right? And that all of us, we used to live that way. Every single one of us. Say me. Me, yeah, me. Like you, okay? Like we all used to live this way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. If that's your life, if your life is being lived right now, absent of God's authority, absent of God being and Jesus being the Lord and leader of your life, then you're living your life by the passionate desires and inclinations of the sinful nature, and you need to get open and honest and stop avoiding the fact that you're, you need to admit, I need to be rescued from this dire spiritual state that I'm in. Then secondly, you got to signal to God that you need him to rescue you from your sin. What does that really look like? What does it look like to signal to God, I need to be rescued from my sin? Some people think, well, I just need, if I just go to church enough, right? if I just give enough, Right? If I just do enough good things, then I will be signaling to God that I want to be rescued. And I would say to you, God's not interested in what you can do for him. He's interested in your heart. And will your heart surrender to him? And will your mouth open up and confess that he's leader and Lord? Just like Romans chapter, um, chapter 10 verse 9 says. It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be rescued. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for this simple but yet profound move that says, not only do I need to be rescued, and there's no way I can do it, but my rescuer is Jesus. So I'm going to open up my mouth, and I'm going to basically publicly profess with both my mouth and with my actions that Jesus, I want you to be my leader and my Lord. I believe that God, you raised Jesus from the dead. That's what Easter's about. I believe that, God, you raised Jesus from the dead. Then he goes, good, that's when Jesus can save you. Because, guys, look, Jesus isn't holding out on you. But he's, he's waiting for you to ask for his forgiveness. He's already done everything he needs to do. The Bible actually tells us that while we were still sinners, while we were still in need of being rescued, Christ died for us. And can I add on to that? He defeated death for us. While we were, while we were need, in need of being rescued, he knew that we were going to be in this state. So he went to the cross on your behalf and my behalf. But lastly, church, you got to receive it. All right, you got to receive the rescue of grace. Not just once either. It, it's a regular daily basis of coming back to God and just saying, God, look, look forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for those thoughts that I had last week. Forgive me for those words that I had yesterday with someone that were hurtful and harmful. God, forgive me for that attitude that's inside of my heart. God, forgive me for, you know, caving to sin the other day. It's coming back to him and receiving grace on a regular basis. Guys, I'm telling you, that's why Jesus defeated the grave. He did it to give you life. He doesn't want you to walk with a noose around your neck of, of sin. And that's why today I can... I can and with confidence say, God's got his arms open wide right now, and he's ready to rescue you. This is the posture of God right now. He's like, I see you. Right? I know that you need to be rescued. 
I've done all. I've done it all already. I'm waiting for you to cry out to me. But my arms are open. I'm ready to embrace you. That's the good news of God. And that's why, you know, on Easter, as an example, man, I'm just going to go back to a classic passage, John 3, 16 and 17. For this is how much God loved those who needed to be rescued. The world. That he gave his one and his only son so that everyone who believes in him, who cries out to him, who recognizes that they need to be rescued by him, will not perish. You're not going to die, but you'll have eternal life. He will rescue you. Why? Because God sent his son into the world not to judge it, not to condemn you, not to point his finger at you when you're in your worst moment and you're just paddling in the water and the sea is just pulling you out and you're trying to get to the shore. And Jesus isn't on the shore pointing his finger at you going like this. Didn't you see the red flag? What are you, an idiot? You see these other people drinking their little drinks with little umbrellas on the beach and you went into the water? What are you doing? That's not him. He's not judging you. He's not condemning you. But he's waiting for you to say, help. And his arm reaches out and it grabs you. And it saves you. Through Christ. The sacrifice of Jesus. If it was not for the sacrifice and Jesus defeating death, we have no hope. And that's why Jesus is asking from you and from me today. Admit that you need him. Ask him to rescue you. And third, receive his free gift of grace. Because in all seriousness, we are all trapped. We're all trapped by our sin. All right, tell them they're missing a great sermon, by the way. Um, (laughs) We're all trapped. Just text it to them. Don't actually tell them. Um, We're all trapped by sin, church. All of us. We're all trapped by sin, and we're all in need of Jesus to rescue us. And I'm going to take you to a very painful moment in our recent history. But the World Trade Centers were attacked by terrorists On September the 11th, 2001, how many of you guys remember right where you were at that day? I remember where I was at. At 8.48, and just a couple minutes after that, the north, the north, I turned the TV on, but at 8.48, the north tower was hit by American Airlines Flight 11. A few minutes after that, while I'm watching the TV, at 9.02 in the morning, the south tower was hit by United Airlines Flight 175. And the newscasters don't know what to say. They, nobody knows what happened. They don't know if it's an accident. They don't, but by the time that second tower was hit, they're, they're sure now it's not an accident. And more reports are coming in, you know, on what's happening. And you can imagine what it would have been like to be a fireman, like, on the ground in New York City that day. As they're all rushing to, you know, the World Trade Centers. And hundreds, if not a thousand and more uh, firemen for sure. And then police officers are rushing to try to save the lives of people that are trapped now, right, by staircases they got to try to get down. Or they're trapped above where the airplanes have hit, right, or they are now dead because the airplanes just took their life out in an instant. And one of those firemen who rushed in that day was Michael Hobb. Right, he was part of a New York fire uh, fighters uh, company ladder number four. He was one of many, many firemen that showed up that day. I think he was on engine 54 or 56, and there was 15 of them that showed up that day. And as soon as they got there, they were given the, the instructions, run up the South Tower and save as many lives as possible. 
So now they charge into the building and they charge up the stairs to save as many lives as possible. And Michael, along with his fellow firefighters and other police officers and other people that were there to help out, they saved 15,000 people. I think that's pretty awesome in the midst of that chaos. But what they didn't know was then at 9.50, the South Tower collapsed and it killed hundreds of firefighters who had rushed in to rescue people. Michael lost his life trying to rescue fellow New Yorkers. The unfortunate fact is that it took 18 years before the coroner could ever clearly identify and positively identify his remains so that his family could truly have a memorial service where they could honor him officially and bury what was left of him. But his wife at that memorial service just a few years ago said that Michael wouldn't have wanted to be anywhere else on September the 11th than rescuing the lives of those in that tower. One man gave up his life to save hundreds and thousands. But that's all he could do was just save their physical life. Because even those 15,000 that were saved from that physical death are still in need, just like you and me, in need of, of a spiritual rescue. So that's why Jesus said in John 15, 13, that there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one friend, for one's friend. And I think that that's a beautiful statement for Michael. But Jesus wasn't making that statement for Michael. He was making that statement because he was going to do that. He was prophetically making a statement that there was a day coming, then Jesus was saying, watch this because it's profound, it's going to maybe change your theology, it's going to at least change the way you see yourself in God's eyes, that Jesus said those words, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You know what that means? Jesus was talking about himself, and he was referring to you and me as his friend. You know one of our hardest things to grapple with is to see ourselves as a friend of Jesus? Because why? What do you see first when you think about that? You see all of your what? Your failures. You see all of your flaws. You, you, don't, you don't think like, what would that actually look like to be a friend of Jesus? I, that would be like, I would have to give up a lot. He's going to hang out with me every day. You start thinking that way next. But Jesus went, you know what, no, let me tell you what perfect love is. I'm going to give my life up for my friends before they even call me friend. And some of them may never call me friend, but I'm going to give my life up for them and I call them friend. And that's why Jesus willfully, willfully walked up the trail on the hill of the skull and was crucified that day. Because he was being crucified for his friends. Jesus was living out his mission to rescue humanity from death and separation from sin for his friends. Jesus, in fact, I don't know if you know this, the Bible actually says it, we're going to read it, that he left heaven to come on the mission to rescue his friends. John 6, 38, for I, Jesus says, I have come down from heaven to do what? The will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. You know what that tells me? Here's another one that's going to, I hope it just kind of pops a bubble inside of your mind. First one, you're a friend of, of, of Christ. The next one is that Jesus was the king before he ever showed up to be the savior of the world and to rescue us from our sin. He was the king sitting on the throne, 
the ruler of all things, creator of all things, the alpha who started it all, who spoke. It was by Christ and for him that the world was created, God's word tells us. Okay, so Jesus Jesus hasn't come just to do his will. He came to do the will of the Father. But the reason why Jesus overcame death, the reason why Jesus was able, able to conquer death was because he was the king before he came and he was the king in the tomb. He was the king in the tomb. He is God in the tomb who spoke from the inside of the tomb to the stone, roll away. I'm ready to get out of this joint. He was the king on both sides of the stone. He spoke, and his words moved the stone, folks. He's the king before he came to rescue us, and he's the king because he conquered death. And that rescue now that is offered, that lifeline that's given to you and to me, is given to everyone. Why? Because it was God's will. Remember what Jesus said in verse 38. I came to do whose will? The the will of my father. What is that will? Verse 39 and 40 tells us. And this is the will of God. Jesus says about himself that I should not lose even one of all of those who who has been given to me. But I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have what? Eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. And guys, that's good news. That God created you. And that he loves you. And he was resurrected, and he's going to resurrect you. That's good news. And that should remind you. Not only are you friends with God, and that he's king on both sides of the stone, but that you are valued by God. You matter to God today. And that's why, without excuse, I invite every single one of you to be rescued by the grace of Jesus Christ today. Jesus is waiting for you to admit that you need need to be rescued. That's your first move. Your second move is that Jesus is waiting for you to signal to him, you are God, and I need you to forgive me of my sins. And then Jesus is here right now to move in close and for you to sense his rescue. At the end of this service, at all of our campuses, our campus pastors are going to come and they're going to, they're going to, Basically give you the opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus and pray a powerful prayer, although it's short and simple, but a powerful prayer to to declare, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and I want you to be my leader. And in that prayer, you're inviting Jesus, watch this, you're inviting Jesus, who is the king of the world, to become the king of your heart. It's It's just like the miracle of the resurrection, He is the king of the world, and he was the king in the tomb. Now we're making him king of the world and king of our heart. The king on both sides of the stone. That's why at all of our campuses, we're going to be singing this song, Both Sides of the Stone. That's basically what the the song talks about. I didn't want you to be confused by that language. But it's basically saying this, that Jesus was king before he came to rescue us. And Jesus is our king because death couldn't hold him down. And church, when we sing those words, I want you, those of you who have been rescued by God's grace, to proclaim this truth with joy and with boldness because we're declaring who Jesus really is. And for those of you who are hearing my voice today that still need to admit, God, I need to be rescued, then you can sing this song 
knowing that this is who your Savior is and that you want him, tell him today during that song, Jesus, be the king on both sides of the stone. Be the king of the world and be the king in my heart. Just like you're the king of the world and you're the king in the tomb and you spoke to the stone and it rolled away and you rose again. And if you can rise again and be rescued, I can rise again and be rescued in the name of Jesus. Why don't you stand with me? Come on. Go ahead and stand with me. Let's, be, let's get our hearts ready to worship him. Let's get our hearts ready to proclaim that truth. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray right now. And I ask you, God, that you show up in this church in a powerful way at all of our campuses. Meet with those who are even online today. Show up in a powerful way and remind us that you have been the king the entire time. All through 2020, you were the king. We may have gone through pain. Some of us are standing here with fewer family members this Easter than we had last Easter. But you're still the king. And you can be the king of this world, and you can be the king of our heart at the same time. And so, Lord, we admit that we are in need of being rescued. We wave our arms in prayer to you right now. Our heart waves back and forth, and it says, Jesus, rescue us. You're the only one who can. And, Lord, we open up our arms, our arms to receive your embrace this morning. The embrace of the king, the rescuer of our soul. The one who frees us from the penalty of our sin. So Jesus, thank you for being the king on both sides. Amen.